We are designing our whole church service around a very ancient model. The way the earliest followers of Christ did church, uh, we welcome questions. Uh, as I was sharing with the 830 service, your ability to answer, to get to ask a question can clear up a lot of confusion, can quite frankly enhance learning for everybody, and it helps alleviate the problem of having fried preacher for lunch. Right? Because if there's a misunderstanding, a little slip of the lip, I don't say it just right, and there's no, there's no time for a live corrective, then you go home and you're upset. And I, I just don't like what they said. And if you're having fried preacher, it tastes wonderful when you get to share it with other people. That is, that is a meal that is delicious when there's more folks around the table. And so by asking questions, by seeking clarification, it helps alleviate confusion that is so unhealthy, and then you don't have to do damage con control during the week, right? So we at Christ Church give you permission to raise a hand and ask a question. This is a learning environment. This is not the church that says, uh, shut your mind off, shut your mouth, and we'll tell you how to think. And be sure and tithe on the way out. That's not who we are. I dare you to think. I dare you to challenge. I dare you to do that. We are here to learn and grow and to corporately seek after God. Makes sense. So with that introduction in mind, I want to pray and we're going to jump straight in. Father, thank you for what you're doing right now. I ask for great wisdom, great blessing on us as we deal with a very sensitive, critically important text in uh, a healthy church. Thank you so much for Christ Church and the folks that are here. And I beg your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to jump straight away in. We're going to look at Matthew 7. Let me do a read. Uh, this is through the American, New American Standard Translation. And we'll walk through who Jesus is really talking about here. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And then Christ asks a series of kind of rhetorical questions. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? And the way that's constructed, Andrea, in Greek, it's like, of course not. Of course not. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good fruit, or rather bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What's the backstory to this passage? What's going on here? Who are the false prophets? Who, do, who does this apply to even today? Everyone turn to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, and I want to tie in some of the backstory so you'll appreciate what's being said here. Ezekiel 22 records a major indictment against the, uh, the priests of Israel. 
And this is what is said in Ezekiel 22. I'm going to target verse 26 uh, and following. And it goes like this. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. Danny, that's probably the backstory Christ has in mind, that there are people who represent wolf-like behaviors that enter into an innocent group of people like sheep, and they prey upon them. They take advantage of them and cause great harm. That's most likely the backstory that Christ has in mind. So the question is begged, who are the false prophets? Who are they? It seems to me in my experiences, I'm not sure about yours, but, but a lot of pulpits through the years that I'm aware of use this, question, this passage uh, just as a club against church members. So pastors are using this text as a club, kind of shame, shame, you know, the congregation. You need to learn to produce good fruit. And if you don't, God's going to get you. I don't think this necessarily applies to the, to the congregation at all. At all. In fact, there's somebody else that I think God has in mind here. So who are the false prophets? Probably there's roughly three options we can go with. Number one, we're talking about Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, key religious leaders, Jewish leaders that are competing and are threatened by Jesus Christ. A second option is that he's talking about charismatic Christians. Charismatic Christians, like the Corinthian people, that are getting fired up in a lot of spiritual things, and they're starting to abuse some of those gifts. Because look at this in the, in the, the second paragraph. Many are going to say to me, do we not prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles? Does that sound charismatic? Are a lot of charismatic churches today really, really doing that? That's like their thing? Sure. Sure. It's interesting, though, that in these instances, the people that are doing the prophesying here, that are doing the demon exorcisms, that are doing the miracles, are not even born again. And Christ uses this formula of repudiation. I don't even know you. And he, and he turns. I don't even know you. And he turns his face away from them. This is like courtroom kind of language, is what this is. Non-believers are casting out demons and they're, they're doing miracles and they're prophesying. And by the way, the formula, in your name, in your name, in your name, Tim, is, it's arguable that they believe they're legit. <laughs> they're embedding the name of Christ into this thing three times, which suggests they're fully convinced that they're doing the right thing the right way with the right heart motive in shock of it, they're not even a Christian. Shock of it all, they're not even born again. They're lawless people, and Christ repudiates them and says, I don't even know who you are. Who are these people? Who are they? They are, uh, by the way, uh, a couple of scholars that really have had an influence on me argue that the, the fact that it says, beware of the false prophets, prophets that that's intentionally vague. Intentionally vague. For example, if it reads Galen, 
beware of the Pharisees, and Christ is more than capable of saying that, and he does in other places, beware of the Pharisees, then the issue's settled. We already know this is about the Pharisees, right? And it softens things a lot. But he doesn't do that. He keeps it vague, I believe, so that this text will apply to the church throughout generations. Throughout the generations. Is it true, beware of the Pharisees? Absolutely. Is it true, beware of charismatic Christians that abuse those things and do damage and exploit for money in the church? Absolutely, beware of that. Absolutely. Beware of pastors, staff members who produce bad fruit. This is who it, this is, today's on me, okay? <laughs> today's on me. And it's an intentionally vague guy because it's going to apply throughout the church age until Christ calls the bride home and the great judgment takes place. Make sense? Intentionally vague, it applies then to this. Anyone, this is who the false prophet is, this is who we're targeting. Anyone who claims to have authority to speak on behalf of God, to teach on behalf of God, and to teach about what it means to submit to God. That's who we're talking about. Okay? In all likelihood, we're particularly sensitive to those who do this. Corrupt the one true gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. As though there's another way. We're targeting the corruption of the gospel. And we're targeting people that say... The words of Jesus and the behaviors of Jesus don't matter. In other words, you can live and claim that you're a Christian and you don't have to behave like one. That these are the false prophets coming from pulpits. All right? Makes sense? False prophets, not good. That person, that man or woman, is producing bad fruit, okay? And they do great damage. They're distorting. Uh, guy, when you, when you pick up verse 4, 13, 14, where most likely this, these false prophets are saying, you know that narrow way? <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's a lot wider than you think. Just listen to me and I'll show you the wider way in. And, uh-uh. It is the narrow way. And it's the false prophet that says there's another way. There's only one gospel, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a liar. He's not a lunatic. The poor guy's not a well-intentioned fool. The poor guy's, you know, not a good guy, he's not educated. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. He meant that. The Pope didn't die on the cross for you. Muhammad did not die on the cross for you. Mother Teresa didn't die. Can I pick on any other names? Uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention didn't die on the cross for you. Chris Perry. Chris Perry. I got to include me. Guy Lyons didn't die on the cross for you. Okay. <laughs> the lion that roars. It, no. Only Jesus Christ. And that means... That any Jew, any white, Anglo-Saxon, middle-class Republican with a concealed carry license who does not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior 
every Jew, every Muslim, everybody that does not reconcile and make a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will not come to the Father. Period. That is a narrow, narrow way. And I will never compromise on that way. Ever. And I don't care if it means it's down to me and Lisa in our living room. We're going to do Christ Church (laughs) 2.0. It doesn't matter. I will never compromise on the one true gospel. I will never do it. I will never compromise on the teachings of Jesus nor the behaviors of Jesus. I will never do that. All right. So, what do you do with church staff? What do you do with me? What do you do with Stephen? How how do you relate to us? Um, Well, verse 16, you'll know them by their fruits. Uh, A small blackberry on a buckhorn bush in Palestine Looks a bit, it can look like a grape, a cluster of grapes. Okay, it can be mistaken at a distance. The flower of a thistle can look like a budding fig on a fig tree. But when you get close and you examine it, you can, you can tell, no, that is not a growing fig. Uh, no, that is not a, uh, a grape at all. That's just a buckhorn berry. You will know them by their fruit. So, should you be spiritually authorized, FDA-approved fruit inspectors for your church staff? Yes. As a matter of fact, you should. You really should. It's your job. It's your moral obligation to be a fruit inspector. That's what this text is about. Okay? We are to look at each other's lives. We are to see if we are truly living out the gospel. It's what we should do. If churches are not self-correcting, <laughs> what do we have? If we can't hold each other to a standard, if you can't hold me to a standard, what do we have? It becomes this watered-down social club. We are not habitat for humanity, okay? Can we just get that out there? We're not a self-help club. We're not here for the sappy, weepy, mutual admiration society. That's not who we are. We are the bride of Christ. We are the church of the living God. He shed his blood for us. And he said that his words matter. And his behaviors matter. Let's look more deeply at this. Everybody turn to 1 John 4. Uh, I'm going to click over to it here on on the screen for you. 1 John 4. uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. The one that's against Christ. Of which you have heard that is coming. And now it has already come in the world. Already in the world. That's hard to understand because that word spirit trips us up. Let me give you another word, and it's going to help you unlock this passage. Beloved, do not believe every teaching, but test the teachings to see whether they are from God. Because there are many false prophets having gone into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God that every teaching... Every sermon, every presentation of the gospel that confesses that Jesus Christ 
has come in the flesh is from God, and every teaching that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the teaching of the Antichrist. Now you get it. It's not spooky kooky when you see the word spirit. It's not spooky kooky. We're talking about the content, the attitude, the essence of the message of somebody teaching on behalf of God and claiming to do that. Makes sense? All right. Now, let's go back to this. Uh, Just a quick comment. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God on that day. I'm going to declare to you, I never knew you. It sounds like Jesus is in a courtroom and he's rendering judgment. He's rendering judgment. Didn't he say, I'm not here to judge, I'm here to save? That I'm, I'm, I'm deferring judgment to another, to my father, or to the law? Didn't he say that? And yet here he's positioned as a judge. Most likely, Brian, in a courtroom setting, a co-judge. That the one true God is bringing him in as the prosecuting attorney and they're adjudicating the case. And he's like the expert witness. You've seen that a million times. And Christ is rendering and adjudicating the case. I never knew you. Never knew you. Okay. So, who does this text apply to? In 2017. Me. 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 What do you do with a, a tree that bears good fruit? Get under it and enjoy the fruit. <laughs> What do you do with a bad tree that bears bad fruit? Find another tree. It's not your job to cut it down. That's God's job. It's God's job. It's God's job to cut me down. If I produce bad fruit and I fail to represent him, that's God's job, not yours. But you are a spiritually sanctioned, FDA-approved fruit inspector. <laughs> you can do that. Okay. You can do that. Okay. So what's the difference between cutting the tree down and confronting the tree? Big difference. One tries to destroy, one tries to heal. Yeah, big, big difference. Yeah. But we are confronters as FDA inspectors. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Okay, uh, guy, here's a good, a good way to handle that. Uh, some of you history buffs, you understand good New Testament theology. What's the authority structure in the New Testament church? It's earliest form. What does it look like? Who are the power players? Jesus. You're so spiritual. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have have those people in your church? Always that guy. Oh, brother. Now we're going deep. (laughs) Okay, now let's go. All right. So uh, is is James the brother of Jesus? Is he one of the original 12? No. And yet he rises to the number one position of power in Jerusalem. And he adjudicates the first church council, right, about how you're going to handle the law and Gentile believers. So you've got James, then, Megan, you've got 12, the 12 apostles, right? Now, these are the power guys, right? Is Paul the 13th man? Sure he is. He's the 13th man. Where do you put him? Well, sometimes Paul says, I work harder than all those other guys. And he he wants to bump them above the 12, right? But then sometimes he's a 13th man on that tier. And then sometimes, Brian, he's right below it like he's looking for their approval. I want you to to side with me on how we deal with Gentile ministry. Who's below Paul? What's that? Timothy. 
Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, and it goes on and on. These are sub-apostolic authorities. All right, when you read Paul's letter to Titus and Timothy, what are some of their main instructions on how to deal with authority in the church? What do they do? They're told to do what? Exactly. That, uh, this is our practice, uh, Titus. When you're in Crete, or whenever you are, and you start ch- these churches that have started, you make sure to get there, and you staff them with elder pastors, and you make sure that they set their house in order. And if you find out that any of them guy are teaching falsely, who does the corrective? The apostolic authority does. That's the New Testament church, people. Okay? Now, and I'm telling you, if we say we're biblical, well, there it is. There it is. Does it sound Catholic? You bet it does. You bet it does. Hey, you know what the word Catholic means? Universal. Universal. They are the church. The one universal church. And that should not bother us one bit. They're the first church. And, and praise God for it. You know. Now, it morphed into something very, very different. But that is the universal church. The Apostles' Creed. There it is, right? We don't have that today, do we? We're Protestants. I break from that. I am a former recovering Catholic. I broke from that and uh, was a part of the Southern Baptist. How does the Southern Baptist Convention do power and authority? Well, in their churches, you've got a personnel committee or a deacon board, and they're the ones that hold the purse strings and normally the trump card. They, they disseminate power. And the staff and the deacon board personnel committee have to work that out in almost a peer-like kind of way which causes tons of, tons of tension in, in those kinds of churches because you have people who are not elders, guy, who are not pastors, ruling, judging, criticizing, evaluating, and potentially disciplining pastors, which causes pastors to have hurt feelings. By the way, do you know we have feelings? Did you know that? And we don't like it. And all of a sudden, I don't like that deacon board. And those personnel committee people, who do they think they are? Who gave them power? You know? Well, the church did. They voted him in. You know? and, and all of a sudden, we got hurt feelings. And so now the, the pastor is, has got, there's opposition in the deacon body with the pastor. We've got opposition. And things get tense. And nothing tastes better than fried preacher in large groups. And so there's conversations that go on. And pretty quick, enough pressure, uh, positions are formed in opinion forum that we have to go to the personnel committee and there's got to be a secret deacons meeting. And then they have to call in the pastor and say, look, it's, it's, it's just not a good fit. We need you to resign. And that's, you've heard that maybe, Guy? No, I was thinking we're going to go another direction. <laughs> and, right, yeah, right, the soft language. Meaning, we think you're a jerk and we don't want you to be on staff anymore and you're hurting our numbers. Would you please leave? And, so, and then that same cycle kicks in again and again, right? By the way, that's not just an SBC thing. That's an any church thing. And even the liturgical churches that do have hierarchy, like the Methodists, same junk goes on there too, okay? And I counsel some of those people. So uh, it still hurts. People just not getting along with people, Okay. But it wouldn't it be nice, guy, who's my Timothy? Who's above me? An elder, a, a sub-apostolic. Who's my Paul? I have none. 
I have no Timothy to turn to. None. I would love that. I'd love to turn to Timothy, Titus. He comes into town, and his job is to meet with me and make sure that, that I'm walking the straight and narrow, checks on my marriage, checks on my kids, checks on my teaching, checks on how I do things and how I care for people. And if I'm really living out the gospel, I would love that. I don't know that person. I don't know a Paul. I don't. So at Christ Church, we're strapped with a challenge of how do you mediate an, a historical obstacle. We can't recreate the first century world. We can't. I can't find James. I can't find the, tw- the original 12, those people. I know there's some that claim that they're in apostolic succession, and I get all that, but I can't find them. So who do I turn to? You. Turn to you. I've got an amazing team of people, my leadership team. They function like that elder board, personnel committee, deacon board thing. And, and, and by the way, you're, it's an open board, so you're welcome to come. You can't vote, per se, but you can be there. Because, and I love that position because, guy, if we all have real spiritual gifts, then we need to hear from everybody, right? Isn't that something, to give everybody honor and not do things behind closed doors? How cool is that? So, uh, and I, I do my best to not turn to the left or the right without their blessing. And it works. It's simple. It's simple. So, I want to read from Paul's writings in Acts 20. If you want to turn there, click there, Acts 20. <clears throat> Paul's pouring his heart out. This will be verse 25. Paul's pouring his heart out. Because he's leaving uh, Ephesus and he, wow, Paul didn't play favorites, but he does sometimes. Uh, Titus and Timothy were favorites. He called them his sons. You're my true sons. He loved them. And he loved the Ephesian church. He loved the Philippian church. He's crying at this point, uh, guy. He's really pouring his heart out. Verse 25, Acts 20. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching, the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. How's that to have a clear conscience? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Hmm, sounds like something Jesus said, doesn't it? And from among your own selves, guy, among your own selves, people who think they're righteous and right with God and know better, they're going to rise up among you, speaking perverse things, meaning they're corrupting the gospel, to draw the disciples away after them, to start another little cult. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. Okay. What do you do with a tree that bears good fruit? Get under it and enjoy the fruit. If the tree is producing bad fruit, and after you've used the right means with the right heart attitude and the right ways, to help heal and grow and mature that pastor, that person, 
whether the offense is by, by accident or whether it's malicious, they still need to be restored. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? Aren't we restoring kinds of people? And you feel like you've done, there's nothing left to do, then you, you find another tree. By the way, the people that keep going from tree to tree to tree to tree to tree, <laughs> you already know the rest of that sentence, right? That thought. Look at Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Do you understand that I'm going to answer to Jesus Christ over what I've done at this church? Do you understand that? I'm going to give an account. And it's going to be, Lord, Lord, <laughs> I taught in your name. I'm, I'm going to have my, I'm going to have to give an account. This is real. This is not theoretical. Please help me to watch over your souls. Please let me do this with joy and not with grief. I think that's unprofitable for you. Interesting, the Greek word here on unprofitable means it's, it's going to be an unfair taxation on you. Would be another way to say that. It's going to tax you heavenly. You gardeners, now, Doug, we have a professional farmer here. Doug, you're not allowed to give the answers because you already know all the answers. <laughs> Doug's brilliant. What does it take to, if you've got a good tree that bears fruit, what do you do with the tree? How do you, how do you keep it bearing good fruit? You prune it. Prune it. Ow. Prune it. Okay. <laughs> got to prune it. What else you got to do? <laughs> what? Water it. Fertilize. You gotta pick the fruit, otherwise it's just gonna rot on the tree. Yep. Harvest the fruit. That's what it's there for. Right? That's what it's there for. What else? What else do you do with a good Kill tree? Kill bugs. What's that? Kill the bugs. Keep the bugs away. <laughs> Keep the bugs away. Keep disease away. Anything else? Protect it so it gets light. Yeah. Yeah. Which may mean you need to trim some other things uh, that would shade it, block it from sunlight. Sure. It's kind of, kind of common sense, isn't it? You know, there's a beautiful kind of uh, relationship with, with, uh, with, with the tree. The good fruit it produces nourishes you. It nurtures you. If you help nurture the tree, the tree gets nurtured. And it works in a beautiful relationship. It's, just, it's a beautiful thing. Right? It works. Someone in the 8.30 service said, uh, if you've got a tree that bears good fruit, share it with other people. And I love that. I love that. It's meant to be shared, isn't it? It's meant to be shared. Doug and Marcine, they're my family in Christ. And, and Lisa spent, I don't know how many hours yesterday, and Catherine uh, picking strawberries on the best strawberry farm in Arkansas. And wow, Lisa has made, she has got a... I'm telling you, quart jars or whatever the jars are, this much of amazing strawberry jam. It's just, it's just amazing. So, and that happened because Doug and Marcin were kind and, let, and they shared the fruit. Thank you. So what are some things you could do uh, if, if you believe, if you believe that I'm a tree that bears good fruit and I'm not a false teacher, if you believe that's true and I'm producing good fruit, would you please nurture me? Please? I need you. Yeah. I cannot do this alone, Russ. Can't. We pray for 
prayed for you and encouraged you. Thank you. Thank you. It. Yeah. Someone that really is a, pr a priority for me is Lisa. Lisa and my daughters. Two of my girls are here. Rebecca and Catherine are here. Uh, how you treat me has a big effect on them. Okay. How you treat them has a big effect on me. Guess what? They have been sharing me. Well, Lisa has for 37 years or more, actually. And my, my daughter's 32 years. They've been sharing me. And, you know, th there's tension in that because they know that as, as a pastor, I am called to uniquely love and care for, help heal, teach, meet the needs uh, of sheep. And that's my calling. That's what I, that's what I do, right? It's who I am. Uh, and that often means that that cuts into their time a lot. A lot. Right? Those calls that come in at 11 o'clock at night or 2 o'clock in the morning or right at supper time. It, it, I could go on and on and on and on, right? right? Or you find out, you catch it through the rumor mill that someone just had fried Chris. And that hurts. That hurts. Uh, it affects Lisa. It affects my daughters. And so, uh, if you believe I'm a good tree that bears good fruit, get up under it. Enjoy it. Please. If, if you don't, please find another tree. Please. Don't stay here and make it hard on us. Don't. Uh, I will not compromise the truth at all. I will never compromise the truth. I'm committing to teaching to teach the words of Jesus as intended by him and to push for the behaviors of Jesus in my life, in your life. Uh, uh, just a few months ago, I gave a point-blank teaching on SSAs and, and what the scriptures say about that. And uh, they're not coming back here anymore. It breaks my heart because I've loved them for years. Loved them for years. They won't go back. And I will not compromise the truth. Do you understand? Let them know what SSA is. Well, there's little ears here. Okay. Yeah, little ears. Just go ahead and Google that one in private. But um, something, something attractive. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I can't compromise the truth. Now, by the way, you need to know that there is virtually no significant moral difference between issues surrounding an SSA and pride and racism, and bitterness, and uh, uh, harder soft pornographic issues, or I can go on and on and on and on. And the church has no right to turn her guns on one particular moral issue and make it a, a all or nothing issue. It's not, it's not right. You've got to deal with it all. Holiness and the work of the Holy Spirit is about holiness, right? It's not the fun spirit or the party spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not do what you want spirit. It's Holy Spirit. And we pursue holiness in all things. Ephesians 4. We grow up in all aspects unto him. That's what we do. Okay. So um, thank you for allowing me to do this with joy and not with grief. Thank you. I got to beg you, though. I got, I got to push one final push, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, you need to test every spirit. You need to test every teaching. Okay? There is stuff that's being pumped out 
uh, on pulpit, in pulpits all over Little Rock right now. Uh, TV preachers, I could go on and on, and don't need to drop names, you know who they are. But I'm telling you, it is what's called the prosperity gospel. It is poison. It is deception on all levels. And if I would just give $1,000 worth of seed faith money to their ministry, God would give me 10000 back in return. And I'll know, I'll know the blessings of God because I seeded. No, listen, that's called fleecing the sheep is what it's called. And wolves are good at that. And by the way, wolves look like sheep sometimes. They're dressed in sheep's clothing. Now, let me do a tile. Uh, okay, pop quiz, guy. Uh, what's the D to K? All of seminary rides on this one moment, guy. This is it. I didn't go there. Okay. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, now, now guess what? Do you remember those of us who are married, you're first married, and you made vows, and you meant them with all your heart until they're tested, and now they're like, oh, is that what that meant? And, you know, marriage is a little hard, and those first few years of marriage are pretty stressful. But then after year 10, year 20, year 30, you go like, hey, we got this, and we pretty much figured it out. And then you have young couples that come to you, and they say, please help us have a good marriage. And you say, well, we've been married 40 years, let me tell you how to do it. And, and you teach them, the young teach the old, and that's the way it's supposed to be. It's great. That's how it's supposed to work. Well, guess what? Same with the church. Can you imagine the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension? Bam! Christianity's born. People are converting. They're following Christ by the thousands. It's growing. And you've got this new thing, and nobody knows what to do with it. They don't know. And so they, 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 reap for, they, they go for what they believe is the most theologically sound way of doing church. And they say, well, whatever it is we are going to do, we're going to start with the teaching of the apostles. We're going to fellowship out of our spiritual gifts. We're going we're to do the Eucharist. We're going to break bread, and we're going to pray. We know that much. And then they stumble through history. Guess what? By the mid-century to the latter first century, the people who are second and third generation leaders, Terry, the second, third generation leaders say, hey, we need to write this stuff down because we're kind of figuring it out. And they wrote down, Galen, the first church manual. How to do church 1.0 right out of Jerusalem. They wrote, the, they wrote this manual. Like your protocol book for Little Rock PD. You got a book. This is how we do it, right? Follow the protocol. They did the same thing. It's called the Didache. And Didache is Greek and it means teaching. Uh, the big title is the teaching of the 12 apostles. All right, that's the big title, nicknamed the Didache. I want to read for you what they say about false prophets. All right, this is the church manual by, this is late first century. All right, concerning apostles, think of the word missionary. Concerning missionaries and prophets, Act according to the decree of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received, as with the Lord, but he shall not remain more than one day or maybe two days, unless there's a need to justify it. But if he remains three days, he's a false prophet. Yeah. Yeah. What did Jesus say with his little youth group? Okay, guys, once you get in pairs, we're going to go two by two. There's about uh, 140, sorry, 70 teams going out two by two. When you go out to do your mission work and you've got to spend the night somewhere, I want you to knock. 
If the house is, house is worthy, spend the night. They'll take care of you the next day. Get on to the next mission site. Didn't he say that? They're doing it. That's what this is about. And, and so a new rule had to be formed in the church manual. If they try to stay for more than three days, they're a false prophet. Ooh, what's going on? Um, and when he leaves, he can't take anything with him but bread. Mm, what's going on? If he asks for money, he's a false apostle. He's a false prophet. If he asks for money. Not everyone who speaks in his spirit is a prophet. Every prophet who teaches the truth but does not do what he teaches is a false prophet. What do you think is going on? Why, why, would they, why would they feel an urge to write that? Because abuse in the church. People starting to mooch. Now we're talking about insiders, not outsiders. We're talking insiders are starting to mooch and prey on the church. Wolves rising up among us. So... You're the gifted body of Christ. What's a healthy relationship with a pastor today? Or pastors? You know? What about TV preachers? We don't need to name names. We all know it's out there. Uh, everybody seems to want their brand, their version of how to do this thing. You know? Everybody wants the copyright, right? They're wanting to do it. And it always manages to come back to this somehow, somehow, some way. You're the gifted body of Christ. How would we at Christ Church, this humble thing that we do here, good trees that produce good fruit, bad trees that produce bad fruit, how would we then live if we understood the full import of Matthew 7 and what Jesus is teaching us today? Care for yourself. <coughs> Chris, I'd start out with um, making sure we understand what a real leader is. Because um, when you read that, uh, it was on the last page about uh, leaders, obey your leaders. Right. Um, I think we just re-default to a worldly understanding of what a leader is. <clears throat> and, and even in the description, like, uh, say, in, um, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus defined what a leader is. And... Uh, greatest among you must be come like the youngest and the leader like the servant. Yeah. So yeah. if when we understand and we read anything, obey your leaders, switch it. Obey your servants. Yeah. So if someone uh, is a leader, someone who's camped out in someone's house for more than a couple days and all, all that stuff that they talked about, they find this isn't a servant. This yeah. is a, a, a moocher. This is yeah. a leader in the world's sense. Yeah. And so we have to rework that. Yeah. And at the risk of um, uh, making your head too large, I think you're a good servant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very and I much. I think it's rare. Thank you. You have no idea what, that, what you just said and how that impacts Lisa right now. Because she is the one that's sacrificing most as I serve. Thank you, Guy, for saying that. Well, my wife 
Lisa would never let that happen, I promise okay. you. <laughs> I don't know how it is in your marriage, but my wife sets the thermostat in my house. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> so we, we, have to, we have to flip that, and, and at the risk of criticizing you, even when you describe the apostles and you do the hands going down, Ephesians flips that upside down, flips and the greatest is the least. Yeah. And the greatest is the one who's supposed to serve the most. Yeah. And it's for the purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of the kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. And that was brought up in the 830 service too. Someone wise, a 20-year-old at 830 spoke like a 50-year-old and spoke great wisdom. Great wisdom. Keep going. What else? Why does this matter? How would we carry this out? How would we do this? Yes. <laughs> because, you know, typically, Andrew, when you get one, you get the other, don't you? you? If you really do the fruit of the Spirit, don't you want to hang around someone with love, joy, peace, patience? I want to be married to that, don't you? And I am, by the way, but wow. That's who I want to be married to. I want those kind of kids. I think that's the kind of man my wife wants to be married to, the kind of daughters my or the kind of dad my daughters want. Yeah, you get that, you get the other. Well, this begs the question that if the fruit that does produce don't have good fruit. Yeah, Andrea, thank you. You are so discerning. You are a modern day prophet on many levels. Can I just get this out there in case anybody feels like uh, this one doesn't apply to you? <laughs> Guess what? There's not a single moral issue, guy, nothing that applies to me that, that, that uh, doesn't also apply to you. It, it's all the same. You just turn to different places. We're all the same. We're on, it's, it's level at the cross. It's level. It's not like you get to be a little naughty. No naughty for me. None. No naughty. I get to do nothing. <laughs> but you get a little bit of naughty. No, that's silly. That's absolutely silly. We are all held to the very same standard, regardless if you're a pastor or you wear some tie or something. You're right, Andrea. The fruit inspectors, you can get, and see how this thing flips through the generations? A double hypocrisy? Someone who bears bad, and bad fruit criticizing bad fruit? Or potential good fruit? Philip? I would say when you're comparing fruit as well, make sure to really inspect the fruit and see what it actually is for what it is. Mm-hmm. That's wise, Philip. You spoke such wisdom. Remember, Philip, that at the end of that passage in Matthew, that the people doing the prophesying, doing the demon exorcism, doing the miracles, are not even born again. Not even born again. And yet they're doing the stuff that we would say is ipso facto proof of the work of God. 
you're right. Let me, uh, let me make it just a couple comments here. Um, I'm telling you, if you find a good tree that bears good fruit, please get up under it. Take care of that tree. And if it's not, please find another. Please. There's just wisdom in that. There's just wisdom in it. Okay? And I'm not, and I'm not so insecure in these matters at all. I have given my life to this criteria right here. God, here's the criteria for me. Do I have the ability to say the words of Jesus? And do I have the ability to commit to the actions of Jesus? To the best of my ability with his heart motive. That is the ultimate fruit. The words of Jesus, the behaviors of Jesus to the best of my ability with his heart motive and it all takes care of itself. And with the consequences. Oh, absolutely. Which means maybe I live a very lonely life. And I'm never truly understood. Yes. Sometimes it's a lonely walk. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So would all of this, you know, the fruit of what a person produces go back to more of like loving without hypocrisy? Absolutely. It ties into Romans 12 completely. Yeah, all of this is integrated. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Because I'm guessing like, you know, um, if you go to a new church and you meet the pastor, you see, you know, the fruit looks amazing. Right. But then you get to know them a little better and you get to see the pastor's disciples, who he's discipling. And yet yes. they're not loving without hypocrisy. With, I'm guessing that would make them more like bad fruit than good fruit. In that regard. Yeah, and, and because you can give in good information and still have a very bad lifestyle. Exactly. In fact, uh, Paul makes it really clear in the scripture that you don't beat the sheep up over the head with a staff. First Peter chapter 5. You, should, you don't lord it over the flock. You serve them gently. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, there are occasions in which uh, pastors have to say very, very hard things. And people with chip on their shoulders never like to hear it. Never. And if you're bitter at God because you believe he's an absentee dad and a failed father, then it's really tempting to go after a pastor because you kind of hate God and you hate his representatives. So I become an easy target. Very easy target. Rachel. If it's a fear to be taking care of a tree, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about uh, taking care of your daughters and taking right. care of your wife. Right. What are other ways that we as your sheep can be taking care of our tree? Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. That's beautiful. Uh, pray for me. Pray that, and, and that sounds almost cliche. But, brother, you do counseling. Boy, I tell you what, you know, I, I do back-to-back. There are lots of times I don't have time to do lunch. And, I mean, I need wisdom, Holy Spirit wisdom, not within minutes. It seems like within seconds. And I get texts from people saying, hey, Chris, I'm praying for you. Or scripture, Randy, you've said things so strategically to me. At the very minute that I needed it. So I would say, please pray. Pray for me. Uh, and pray, Rachel, that I will absolutely be in love with Jesus Christ. If I take care of that, it all takes care of itself, right? Uh, pray for Lisa. Pray for my girls. Do you know that what you say Sunday to Sunday has a huge impact on them? They hear it. They've heard this morning so far. It's a big deal. Uh, pray for me. 
take care of my family, take care of Lisa, take care of the girls. Um, be patient with me. I have feelings too. And I, you know what? I, I feel my self-esteem is so intact that I know I'm not that charismatic super guy, right? Did you know that on Father's Day, June of this year, June 17, Christchurch is 10 years old? Did you know that? 10 years old. Pretty cool. And guess what? We're about 100 people, right? Now, our morning crowd here is down. A lot of folks are on vacation. It's just out and about. It's just it's us. We're young. But you know what? I, I, I get with other people and... and because, you know, so everybody thinks numbers is where it's at, right? Oh, how, how big is your church? And I'm, oh, well, we're about 100. It's awful. Well, how old are you? <clears throat> 10 years old, you know. And they go, oh, really? Well, we're 3,000. We opened up six months ago. <laughs> oh, this is really good. <laughs> Yay, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. remember <laughs> Sardis. Yeah, 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 exactly. But you know what? I'm, Rachel, I'm just not that charismatic super guy. I'm not. I'm not the front man. I'm not the turn it on, make it hot and cool guy. I'm just not. And uh, I'm a terrible joke teller because I keep missing the, um, yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> timing. It's the timing of the whole thing. I'm, I'm not a good storyteller. I, I'm, I'm more of a teacher. I believe in exegeting scripture. That's not fun. When you exegete scripture and they go, oh, bro, another Greek word, aw. You know, I can't stand my wife and you're telling me about a Greek word. <laughs> it's not fun. My kids are driving me crazy. I don't care about if it's a participle. No. I get it. I know. I, I get it. I get it. But this isn't a check your brains at the door church. It's not. And by the way, by the way, if you dig into scripture, Shame, shame, shame. If you'd have your quiet time, you could teach in this pulpit every Sunday right along with me. If you just get into scripture. This is not hard, people. It's not rocket science. If you just muscle up and dig into it with me, you could teach sermons. You could, you could teach as well as any pulpit in Little Rock. This isn't hard. It's not hard. Rachel, those things would be wonderful. Share the fruit. I read, I told you this, Randy, read at the Gospel Coalition, some guy says, well, you know, the average pastor spends 10 to 20 hours doing sermon prep. <laughs> I didn't think it was that hard, number one. That might sound arrogant, but, but the beginning, we're only 100 people. Um, <laughs> if I would just pick it up. You need to know, I work seven days a week. I do not have a day off. I don't. I don't have time for a day off. Doesn't it sound silly? Uh, I average 35 to 45 hours of time in counseling a week. And then I have to get ready for Sunday morning and, Sunday no and uh, Wednesday nights, starting a community group in the Old Testament, which is going to be great. By the way, I'm not whining. I'm telling you, this is the load I'm under. Okay. But exactly. <laughs> a prophet has spoken in all myths. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'm not begrudging it, but somebody's got to generate those emails, right? Watch when they go out. 
Did they go out at 1 o'clock in the afternoon usually on Monday mornings? No. No. And, and don't you ever complain about a typo, because if you do, it's going to really hurt my feelings. I'm just telling you. So it's, a, it's amazing that there's not more than there are, you know. So, Caleb. I'm no, I'm no gardener. Uh, I don't pretend to have a green thumb at all. But at a certain point also, is there a point, you have, you have this tree producing great fruit. How many people can eat from that tree before the tree's out? Yeah. Yeah, can uh, so be spoken about. We, we talked about how to take care of a tree. We talked about how to enjoy a tree, but does a good gardener then go and eventually take one of those fruits and instead of eating it, go and plant another tree? Yeah. Take care of more people because that's how more people will take care of things. Yeah. Caleb, my response to that is going to be um, Jesus said to the, to the disciples, or rather to the uh, to the Pharisees, he said to them, I know you, and you do not have the love of God in your heart. God helps me to bear unusual heavy loads because his love is real. And it's that John 4 thing where it's that river of life. But even then, there's a limit. What I need, and I thank you for asking, what I need, I need some of you to become co-counselors. And you are fully capable of doing so. You don't have to be licensed or go to seminary to know how to truly love and care and give wisdom to people. You don't. Okay. And God bless those who do and the amazing skill sets they have. But I'm telling you, the body of Christ should be wired to take care of the body of Christ. That should be natural. I need you guys to help me. I need to know that I, that you, you, I can refer to you. That would help. If someone comes in with a particular need and I say, you know what, I'm going to refer you to Caleb. This is something Caleb really specializes in. I need, you to, I need you to be with Caleb. I need that. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing, I need you to take community groups seriously. I really do. Because I cannot bear that kind of load alone on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. My versions of the community groups. I need you to take it seriously. Because there's a lot of people in Little Rock who have no idea what fruit tastes like at Christ Church. And they need it. And by the way, they need hundreds and hundreds of other churches too. But what we offer here is unique. I need you to take that seriously. I really do. Um, I need you to take prayer seriously. My house is to be a house of prayer. I need you to, well, what Guy said, Ephesians 4. Our job is to teach the body to do the work of the ministry. It's what it is. So this is what I need. Let me pray, and, uh, and we're going to go. God, God has spoken. Thank you so much, Caleb. Every one of you, thank you. Abba, Father, your grace is amazing. Thank you for this church and how they have allowed me to serve with joy and not with grief. Please encourage my wife and my daughters on this journey. Thank you for the sanity of faith and of hope and of love. Thank you that you, uh, you take us where we are and work with us, pastors, non-pastors, and you teach us your ways and, and that we are all responsible to bear good fruit. Father, thank you. Please bless now in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>